Chris, uh, I'm going to come at you with a short and sweet rant today, but I don't know if it, if I get going, I might get going. But I hate people on Twitter who set themselves up as the minority and then follow up with like an incredibly obvious take. I see this a lot when it happens to sports just because a lot of my Twitter feed is sports, but I do see it for other things as well. Uh, like if someone says, am I the only person on Twitter who like actually thinks that, I don't know, something like Austin Matthews is a good goal scorer like or like there's that subset of this where people who make up like imaginary opponents like man can you believe that people are saying that austin matthews isn't a good goal scorer and then everyone who's scrolling along thinks like hey i also think that austin matthews is a good goal scorer because that's an incredibly obvious and correct take and then they're like i didn't realize that i was in the smart minority for disagreeing and here's this only other person who agrees with me i'm gonna like that and retweet it and then it drives up and that's dumb. No one's saying that. No one's saying Austin Matthews isn't a good goal scorer. You're not the only one who thinks Austin Matthews is a great goal scorer. Um, so, yeah. And it's just like it's basic psychological manipulation. And it really annoys me because it's dumb and it's clout farming and it makes me angry. So uh, make my Twitter feed less annoying, please, and stop tweeting out dumb stuff like that. Well, here's a popular opinion, Griffin. It's time for another episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. that you didn't say it's a popular opinion that we're, we're a great podcast oh like no, no 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 just no, like no, just that ever. it is time just, for another yeah, episode that's extremely popular uh, and welcome <laughs> to high floor low ceiling that's all staying in of course uh, griffin uh, outside the norm for us we've been busy bees uh, a monday podcast very very out of the out of the ordinary i'm feeling feeling a little outside my comfort zone yeah, we Comfort usually, though. we're a Friday pod, but I don't know. I'm curious to see how Monday affects our, uh, you know, I love my stats, Chris. I want to see how a Monday listen affects mm. our stats, because I feel like Friday, if people don't listen to it on the Friday, then it gets into the weekend, and not, not as many people listen to podcasts on weekends. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like you listen to it when you're commuting to work or to school, so uh, Monday, who knows? Maybe this might be the secret that unlocks us, our global success. I know most of my podcasts that I listen to come out on Monday mornings. Sure, a Monday is a classic podcast release date. Griffin, I'm already noticing a change. You are right up against that microphone <laughs> as opposed to your usual looking away, uh, moved back. You, I believe, did our last podcast lying on the floor and are now at a desk. Yes, I'm back at a desk. Uh, no more interferences from Betty the Cat. I am back at my home studio, shall we say. Uh, eventually, Chris, we're, we should do this podcast in person again the zoom is much more convenient because we don't live super close to each other but uh i would like to see you it's been a long time (sighs) yeah it's been lonely here in my dungeon i'm gonna air (laughs) this out on the podcast instead of just talking to you (laughs) off the podcast (laughs) uh griffin a few of our classic intangibles to get through uh as since the last time we recorded obviously the nba playoffs have been in full swing um you know some surprising turns of events some not as surprising uh let's start with the hometown team the raptors they won last night uh, as at the time that we're recording this now down 3-1 in the series the report came out today griffin that joel Embiid, his thumb ligament injury was going to be serious enough that he would need surgery he had already said he was going to delay that till after the season and for all we know or presumably that is still the case. Um, I thought he played okay last night. Uh, he went 7 for 16, 21 points, uh, 8 rebounds, but he did look frustrated at times for sure. Griffin, <laughs> do you, you know, maybe not by his thumb, maybe by other elements of the game, but the Raptors winning their first game, still down 3-1 in the series. Uh, Nick Nurse with his very interesting logic that they're not down 3-0 anymore, yeah. which no one's ever come back for them from. Now they're, they're down just 3-1. Down Do you think that there is any chance for the Raptors here? Like, Let's say like over 10% chance. I absolutely do, Chris. This is one of the uh, perils of a Monday podcast, is I was going to come on the Friday podcast and parade that I still believed when they were still down 3-0. But no, I do. I, do, I see a path. 
I see a path, Chris. You got to win game five in Philly. That's going to be tough. Uh, but then game six is at home, so you should win that. Fred Van Vliet's health, of course, a question mark. And then it's game seven. Anyone can win game seven. So uh-huh. if there was a team to blow a 3-0 lead, wouldn't it be a Doc Rivers-James Harden team? It would be. And, you know, the way that I sort of saw the series before game four, and, you know, I guess I still feel this way. It's like the version of the 76ers that we saw in the regular season, I think the Raptors do match up quite well with. Um, you know, obviously there are questions for the Raptors as well. Scotty Barnes, he came off the bench last night. He did not have, or I should say yesterday. It was like an afternoon game, right? It was. Uh he did not have the best game, one of six shooting. He did have 11 rebounds. He's becoming, like, quietly Giannis-esque in terms of, like, he has 17 rebounds. Yeah, yeah, um, he is a, a sneaky good rebounder for sure. Uh, but obviously, you know, Fred Van Vliet having the injury as well, we don't know what he'll be like for the next game. But, you know, broadly speaking, I think the Raptors do match up well with the Sixers. The X factors in this series have definitely been – Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, right? Oh, Tobias Harris. I literally almost said this on the podcast. Is it not the most Raptors thing ever that Tobias Harris, who's had like the worst season of his career and been the worst contract in the NBA, goes back to playing the best basketball of his life against the Raptors? It feels like every year in the Raptors, some random guy steps up against them in the playoffs. The great Mike Scott. Um, but yeah, so, and you know, last night they were, or yesterday they were more limited, you know, Harris, 15 points on 12 shots. Maxi had 11 points on 12 shots. So I think if you combine Embiid not being like his usual automatic 30, 20 free throws kind of guy, <laughs> plus those guys not playing up to their potential, I think that they, you know, it's just hard to say they're going to win three straight games even if like you're saying like well if they if it bounces these certain ways that it could work out for them it's hard to see that working out three straight games right yeah obviously they're still fighting an uphill battle here but i do think that as the series goes on james harden loses more of his explosiveness like we've seen all year that james harden seemingly has stamina problems so i think the longer a series the better that might be for the raptors of course, he's still had some really great like passing games and stuff. I've been, for the most part, quite impressed with Harden in this series. But I think yeah, if you... every time the Raptors win, the ghosts are there for Philadelphia. Like Embiid's had playoff failures. Rivers has blown. I, th- I read in the paper today, he's blown a 3-1 lead three times, which mm-hmm. is still crazy every time I wrap my head <laughs> around really that. And uh, Harden, we all know about his playoff record. So the Raptors just need to plant that doubt and then, Maybe they win game five in Philly. Maybe the Boo Birds come out. Tough Philly crowd. Mm. Uh, this, is a, this is an interesting tale you're weaving. There's a path. Uh, That's all I'm saying. There's a path here. <laughs> I was going to say about Harden, it it really does feel like he just does the same thing every single possession, and it, then it just works, like, most of the time. Obviously, like, he had a poor shooting game last night, but with Harden, it's like, even if he does shoot five for 17 he still has 22 points because he shot 10 free throws. And, like, I feel like he just, like, will break down his defender on the dribble, get past them, and then, like, either the help comes and he just swings it instantly to the open guy or he just gets a layup. And I feel like he just is really, really good at that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, here's uh, an unpleasant question for you. Would you rather lose in game five or would you rather lose in game seven because you know right now there's not really that much hope like it's not you know people are saying like there's a chance there's a path etc uh which there you know kind of is as unlikely as it might be but i don't think anyone would be terribly surprised if philly won game five and won the series so would you rather have that you know sort of expected i can handle this kind of option or would you rather have them battle back like get everyone get excited and then they lose let's say like a close game seven and then like you can still say we took them to seven games they blew a 3-0 lead like that's something but it's also way more heartbreaking to lose game seven yeah i don't know i still feel like based on what everyone was saying going into this series losing in game losing in five is still an embarrassment for the Raptors and obviously the health hasn't been there for them and the whistle hasn't gone their way game three was a toss-up like if they could have if Precious had just hit one of those free throws we're looking at a 2-2 series here poor Precious um but or if Pascal scored a point in the second half but I digress Chris uh (laughs) I think 
I'm going to choose a Game 7 loss in this hypothetical situation. I want to have the fun of those Game 5 and 6 wins, even if it makes the heartache worse. At least, yet, like you say, we fought them. We It's, it's a seven-game series, and the Raptors, for a team that wasn't supposed to be here, I think a, a loss in seven is very respectable no matter how you got to Game 7. Yeah, and yeah, we still get to make fun of Doc Rivers in that case. And talk oh, absolutely. Him really, things like that. Um, Griffin, speaking of Raptors and things happening, <laughs> great segue. <laughs> yes. Uh, Scotty Barnes, Griffin. We talked about him briefly. He has won the 21-22 NBA Rookie of the Year Award. I hate to say I told you so. <laughs> I put this in, Chris, because I felt you deserved this. Do you want to take our listeners back to uh, the night of the NBA draft when the Raptors chose Scotty Barnes and how how well, you were talking as opposed to how I was talking? Well, why don't you share how you were talking? Because, you know, my, my memory is cloudy because I was in the reveries of uh, oh, I'm sure Scotty Barnes fever. But tell me, tell me how you reacted on draft night. Well, first of all, I was just glad they hadn't traded Pascal Siakam to the Warriors like you were advocating for, Um, and he's (laughs) rewarded us with an all-NBA season, so we all get some right. Um, No, but uh, yes, I I had fallen into mock draft hype. I had seen the Final Four buzzer beater. I was quite upset that the Raptors hadn't drafted Jalen Suggs. I wasn't surprised because I was like, oh, this is so Raptors. So Masai and I and I had trust, so I wasn't like they made the wrong choice, but I personally had sort of viewed this draft as I think many people had as a clear top four, and I was thrilled that the Raptors had snuck into that fourth spot in this draft with four great prospects. And uh, after Mobley went off the board, I thought for sure, okay, Suggs, and I was surprised and disappointed when the Raptors drafted Scotty Burns, whereas you... Yes, I was... I, I would consider myself an early proponent of Scotty Burns. I think that's very fair to say. Uh, you know, even back when he, Suggs was, you know, pretty universally being mocked at four, that I was like, su- sort of... I'm still sort of in the same place. I do think Suggs can still be really good. I think that, you know, something... I don't know if I said this at the time or if this is something I read at the time, but... Whichever player went to the Raptors was probably going, maybe going to end up being the better player. Uh, maybe that's putting a little too much faith in the Raptors development system, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it's 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 a better situation to come into than the Magic, certainly. Um, but yeah, and then I was like, I expect them to take Suggs. I won't be disappointed if they take Suggs, but this Scotty Barnes guy, he's really big and a point guard, and like. He's a classic, like, just needs a jump shot guy. And then he came in and, like, I wouldn't say he has a jump shot, but he certainly showed a lot more. And as a scorer, I think I was trying to find our old document from when we were talking about, like, expectations for the season. Mm -hmm. Because I think we said something like, you know, like, nine points, five rebounds, two assists, and that would be, like, a great season for Scotty Barnes. He comes out and averages what 15 points a game he ended yeah 15.3 points a game i think that that alone is like that's crazy yeah i i specifically remember us saying don't draft him for your fantasy team like he's gonna be an in between the box score contributor but he has been a in the box score contributor and an in between the box score contributor i mean plenty of ink has been spilled in toronto over the past however many months over the greatness of scotty burns and uh i was saying watching the game last night to my father i was saying i think it's a very smart move for him given that his his brand is like this lovable young kid full of energy really wholesome i feel like scotty is a really smart move i feel like if you have this exact same person but his name is scott burns it's not the same scotty burns has a much better ring to it I do think people would probably end up calling him Scotty anyways. Even That's if true. Even if he was going by Scott Barnes. But yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, like you said, a lot of, a lot has been said about Scotty Barnes. It's a meme. I get messages every day from my non-Raptors fans' friends about things that people post on Reddit and things that people say about Scotty Barnes and how obsessed Raptors fans are about Scotty Barnes. But I think that what really excites me about him is how unpolished his game is and Mm -hmm. like and it's so easy to see like that combination of like lack of polish 
and his work ethic and competitiveness is like such an exciting combination for him moving forward. And I think that's why I was very high on him because it's like he has size, he has athleticism, and he has competitiveness, which like if you put those three things together, it's often really hard to like keep them from being a good player. And then to have all of those things, but then have him also be a 15 points per game scorer as a rookie with no plays being run for him pretty much shooting 30% from three, like he could really just like, he could just jump to being a 35% three point shooter and take more threes. And he'd already be a 20 points per game score, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, no one needs him to be a 43% shooter from three, but if he can just get that up to 35 and just make it something that defenses have to respect, that's a whole nother layer to his game that I could very easily see him adding. So the sky's the limit, I think, right now in Toronto for Scotty Burns. And as you say, it might be a bit of a meme, but the optimism's real here in the city. Uh, but Chris, speaking of things that I've gotten horrifically wrong about basketball, <laughs> it was just last episode that we were uh-huh. giving our playoff predictions. And I said that uh, I was so worried about the Boston Celtics that I wasn't even worried because I viewed them as the underdog in this series. Of course. So I got to wear this one. There's no excuse. Brooklyn hasn't played as well as I thought. I think Kyrie and KD both look a little like they know this year isn't their year, so they might have checked out a bit. In game one, I thought, okay, this is going to be a great series. But now, I mean, all three games have been close, but I for sure underestimated the Boston Celtics, and I will wear that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I you know I w- I won't harp on you because I think a it has been a close series and b I think if Kevin Durant was playing like well, I mean like even if he, if he was like he was last season that it would be even crazier but like if he was even up to his normal Kevin Durant playoff standards this would probably this would certainly not be a 3-0 series it could easily be a 2-1 Brooklyn series something like that so I think that that has to be taken into account as well but when it comes to the Nets, I feel like it's, you know, we talked about Memphis being like uh, that that the Suns last year sort of were the blueprint for Memphis. I think the Lakers last year <laughs> are like the <laughs> blueprint for the Nets were like, it was like, well, no one wants to face the Nets in the seventh spot. Like, that's terrible. Uh, like, yeah. no one can handle that team. Like, they're going to turn it up in the playoffs. And then it never really came together for them. And, you know, it's the same situation where they don't really have all their pieces perfectly aligned right now i think it's been really underrated throughout the year how much missing joe harris has affected Mm. their lineups and affected their overall game plan but yeah i mean i just think that they didn't quite have all the talent together this year and you know maybe next year that'll change i'm really excited actually to see ben simmons play game four if that does happen because let's just quickly talk about this I think he is a, a really great fit with the those two guys. Do you agree with me? I absolutely do, yeah. I, I mean, I believe we talked about this when the trade happened. But yeah, just the way that now the pressure is off of him to be an offensive shot maker like he was mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. Like the former number one overall pick, people expected him to take over in fourth quarters of playoff games, which is just not what his game is. Mm-hmm. And I believe, Chris, you're, you're a bit of a Ben Simmons apologist. We've... We've been over this before. I am I am to an extent as well, um, and I just think he's great at what he does, and he's not going to be great at what he doesn't do, but what Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving do is what he doesn't do. So mm-hmm. I think that that is – it's kind of like last week how I picked Yusuf Nurkic and Anthony Davis to complement each other so well in my uh, non-contending team. Um, <laughs> go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Great episode. Yeah, great, great draft. Pause this one. Go back, <laughs> then come back. No, yeah, you know what? Got no, your... finish this one first. Finish this one first. We've already got you here. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, like like you said, Griffin, I am a bit of a Ben Simmons apologist. I think I might be, you know, it's kind of ironic because you think about Scotty Barnes and it's like he has the athleticism and, and like the, the size and he has competitiveness. And Ben Simmons, it's like he has the athleticism and the size and he might have like zero competitiveness, which is, <laughs> you know, it's it's an issue. Uh, but you know, Built I think different. yeah, like I think me and many other people still get enticed by that combination of size and athleticism and skill because he has he has a ton of skill in certain areas of the game, and so it's just hard to believe that like 
he can be so unskilled in other areas of the game. Yeah. But yeah, like, like like we sort of alluded to, I think that Joel Embiid was a terrible fit for him in terms of like him sort of playing the way that he would like to play. And I am really excited to see him play with the Nets, assuming the Nets don't like fall apart in the off season. But we'll, well see. you never know with that group. And just before we get to our main segment here, Chris, one last thing I want to mention: something that we could maybe use on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> minor league baseball has added pitch clocks, and it's still very early in the season. And but they're enforcing it really strictly. Like if a pitcher commits a violation. It's an automatic ball. If a batter doesn't get in the box in time, it's an automatic strike. And early results so far have seen minor league games drop on average first pitch to last pitch by a total of 25 minutes, which is incredible. Like, And that's all <laughs> just time that people spent waiting around doing nothing. You're not losing any actual baseball. So get these into Major League Baseball tomorrow. 25 minutes. That's so much time. That turns a baseball game from three hours 10 minutes into two hours 45 which i think is much more reasonable to watch a game that then you're within like 10 minutes of a basketball game which is sort of i think the gold standard for the length of a game so good god get those into major league baseball asap yeah i mean you know i've always been a proponent of things that will speed up the games for the most part um I've always been a proponent of like any new idea that seems like it makes sense. Uh, and, you know, I, I think people forget that this was a real issue of like five or 10 years ago with the NBA. And the big thing was timeouts that like mm. they, that you would call a 60 second timeout and it would be like two and a half minutes because players <laughs> would be slow getting back to the court. And then ever since they started enforcing the timeouts more like correctly, it seems like the games have dropped from like, I think they were, it felt like they were close to three hours, and now it's like pretty tight two and a half. Like, if you look up and the first half's over and only an hour has passed, that's a great feeling as a, as a, a viewer. And I think that that is really what we should be striving for is like, you have, and it's like about, about an hour per half, and then half an hour can be all the other ancillary stuff. Agreed. Yeah. Two and a half hours seems like the good spot for a professional sporting event, and also the good spot for an episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling if we keep going at this pace. <laughs> Absolutely, Griffin. We will quickly move on to our first segment here you know it's it's really more of our like eighth segment but who cares um the nhl is heading towards the playoff time uh how many games are we at now probably about 78 to 80 range i think that's so where only, most teams are yeah only a couple games left in the regular season it has been certainly i think a, a pretty enjoyable regular season there are a lot of good teams it seems like i mean Let's just quickly talk about the New York Rangers because I think that's a team also that we we talked about when we were doing our NHL preview as like is this a team that could sort of sneak in and be interesting and it seems like they're more than interesting right now. Oh yeah, I've been loving the Rangers. Love a team with a hot goalie. That's always a lot of fun to watch. And yeah, they have really been riding a hot streak. They're seven two and one in their last ten. And they have been closing in on the, uh, oh, they've actually now passed the Pittsburgh Penguins pretty handily, actually. Uh, Penguins are just 4-5-1 and one in their last 10, so the Rangers have now firmly set themselves up as home ice advantage in that uh, playoff matchup. That's going to be a great series, the Rangers and the Penguins. Yeah, I mean, Washington doesn't yes. pass Pittsburgh. I think that's a, a safe, pretty safe assumption, but... Yeah, I mean, it's certainly shaping up to be an interesting season, uh, but we want to talk about the NHL awards because they're coming up, the season's almost over, they're being handed out, so I thought we could uh, have a quick discussion of all of, uh, or, you know, the big ones. You know, we're not going to talk about the Selkie because, you know, uh, what's-his-name over in Boston is going to win that again. Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> I, I knew his name. I was just, oh, I was just having a little fun. You're just being dismissive. No, I don't want to do that. We we don't hedge here. We don't uh, take sides. So true. Uh, Wait, we don't hedge you... or take sides. <laughs> what do we do? We we exist in the happy middle. Is what oh, we do. That's what we do. But we don't hedge either. No, no of course not. Come on. Uh, number one. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Griffin, the Calder Trophy, the Rookie of the Year award. I'd say they're like two and a half contenders here um you know you have michael bunting over controversial yeah the culture is controversial this year yeah it's it, for it feels some like reason it, 
it feels like it manages to be controversial every year, I feel like. Um, Mo Sider in Detroit. I don't know if I'm saying that correct. Also, yeah, I'm, uh, just as a piece of foreground I'm or background, I'm going to get some of these names wrong for sure. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I'm not a hockey master, uh, especially when you're digging into, like, the number four Vezina Trophy contender. I might not be uh, as up on pronunciations, but, you know, we do what we can here on high floor, low ceiling. Uh, and then, Griffith, you had here Jeremy Swayman, which I think is an interesting case because it feels like pretty much every year we get, like, the rookie goalie who has an unexpected, like, becomes an unexpected starter and kind of gets thrown into this conversation, right? Yeah, and I, I had to, uh, I picked Swayman over Lucas Raymond and Trevor Zegris, who are also both uh, very strong rookies, having great years. There's a lot of good rookies this year. Um, but... For my pick, Chris, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, just to actually address your question, if anything ever becomes of Jeremy Swayman, because, yeah, I feel like it's a 50-50 shot on whether those uh, rookie goalies that break out ever actually stick around. Uh, But I think that anyone who thinks it shouldn't be... I mean, there are valid cases to give it to Mo Sider over Michael Bunting on ice, but anyone who says that Michael Bunting is too old to win is dumb, I think. (laughs) Or You're not dumb. Let me clarify hey, that. You're hey, not dumb. Come on. Your I your opinion is bad. And, your and you had a dumb idea. <laughs> you are a you are a dumb person. Well, this is something that my uh sister in law's parents apparently used to say is that sister in law's parents, okay. <laughs> is that you're not a bad boy, but you made a bad choice. And so I think you're not a dumb person, but you made a dumb choice. It's true. It happens to the best Michael of us. Bunting's too old. Look, look at I, look at me not picking the uh, Boston Celtics. Um, but yeah, no, he's a rookie. That's the award yeah. goes to the best rookie, and it's not the person who will be the best player one day. It's whoever the rookie who had the best season, and Michael Bunting leads the leads all NHL rookies in points and you could argue that Mo Sider being fourth in points as a defenseman is a better rookie season and sure I will hear that argument but to say that Mo Sider is clearly going to be a better player than Michael Bunting down the line you're right so is Lucas Raymond so is Trevor Zegras uh, but that's not what the award is Connor McDavid didn't win rookie of the year because he missed a bunch of time in his rookie season uh, Michael Bunting is having one of the best seasons of the people who legally qualify as rookies this year. <laughs> and if you don't want to give him the award based on Mo Sider having a better season, fine. Good. Good for you. Smart idea. Uh, if you just think he shouldn't be eligible, bad for you. Dumb idea. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we, we see this in the NBA a lot. I think like, I think of like guys who come over from Europe, like Nikola Miritich is like a classic example. I think of where it's like, he really should have been in contention for rookie of the year and it, you know just never had a chance because it's just perceived differently and i feel like you know it's interesting because i think that people need to vote for awards based on like the way that they're presented to them i think i was reading something about this with respect to nba awards and i'm trying to remember what it is but basically it's like so you... maybe jokic and embiid for all nba center it, yes, that it was. It was all NBA. The the positional things where it's like you can't. The criteria says in the all NBA voting, it's like vote for the person at the position that they most commonly play, and so you can't give that criteria to the voters, but then also be like, but Nikola Jokic is also a forward, even though he's clearly not. Like you can't have it both ways. Like you can't pass the buck to the voters to like to fix your this, vague. Yeah, to have to sort of like fulfill this invisible criteria. Like, if it's not gonna ever go to someone who is like 25, 26 years old, then don't allow those people to be eligible, which like would also make no sense because he's a rookie. Like, how yeah, else he hasn't you... played an NHL season? Like, <laughs> yeah, how else could you decide someone's eligibility? But yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you. There is probably some Toronto bias coming through, but everything that I've read and seen seems like Michael Bunting has, you know. And again, like it gets back to the Scotty Barnes thing. He has contributed for a top team, whereas Mo Sider has not, it's fair to say. And, you know, I think that that has to be taken into consideration as well. Yeah, and you can say, oh, look at, like, he plays with Marner and Matthews. Sure, that's probably where a lot of his points come from. But uh, you can't punish him for playing with good players. And he, he makes that line better. That line's having the best season of both of their careers. 
and they've had a great uh, line mate the last couple of years in Zach Hyman, and he they never reached these heights with him. So uh, Bunting's playing a role for sure. Uh, but moving on here, Chris, before we get too controversial, let's get into the other sort of really close one, I think, and that is the Norris Trophy race for best defenseman in the NHL. And this one comes down, as it always seemingly does, to a couple of offensive defensemen. Of course. Uh, in the Nashville Predators captain, Roman Yossi, and uh, Colorado Avalanche phenom, Kale McCarr. Yossi has 90 points in 76 games, which is incredible for a defenseman. And Kale McCarr, last year's runner-up for the Norris, 85 points in 74 games. Not to limit their impact to just points in games, but I do think that, unfortunately, for Kale McCarr, he's looking at another runner-up season here. Oh, you think so? Wow. Um it's it's an interesting situation you know I've, I've seen some other names mentioned like victor hedman gets brought up because he is like sort you know people say like he's the best all-around defenseman because like you said it is often an award that goes to offensively minded defensemen uh you know a shout out to friend of the show rory subner i've seen charlie mcavoy's name get uh brought up a lot as one of you know a guy who sort of does everything on the ice not just scores points and then for Yossi and Makar specifically, I feel like it gets down to it it becomes like the MVP discussion, right? Where it's like the guy who's most valuable. It, 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 you could even call it a Jokic versus Embiid situation where it's the guy who's clearly most valuable to his team, like is the MVP of his team and they're like a playoff team versus a guy who's on one of the best teams in the league and is like probably been their best player this year it's fair to say but that certainly he's not like i guess mb is maybe about booker would be a better example of a guy who's like i guess he's their best player but they also have a ton of good players and like are a pretty stacked team overall and so that's when that's sort of like i think the discussion that you get into right is like the the subjective value to someone's team that they're bringing yeah and uh so i guess i'll stay consistent i would pick Jokic for mvp over devin booker and i would pick roman yossi for the norse i just think that what yossi has done this year a couple months ago this was a slam dunk for makar and nor and yossi has just really picked it up and been on fire and it blows me away every time i see 90 points in 76 games for a defenseman Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yossi is also a very skilled defender, so I'm giving this one to him. Sounds like you're leaning Makar, Chris. Well, I do have some some Colorado bias. I am, you know, I I don't think do? I really have a. You don't know this? I don't. Think I don't so. think I have like a firmly established NHL fandom, but you know, I I am I do have a propensity towards the Leafs and the Avs. Um, you know, Makar's interesting because I, you know, we talked about Jokic and Booker. I think the gap between the two individual players is much smaller here. I guess I'll go. You know, it, it's hard. I think that they're both like pretty equally deserving here. Being the best player on a team like Colorado as a defenseman is pretty tough to do. But I think I will go Yossi as well uh, for for the same logic as you, Griffin. That like a guy who does everything for a team that like would not to be in nearly the same situation they would be without him i think you have to go in that direction i like the way you think there all right chris to one that's pretty open and shut i think this year the vesna trophy for best goalie in the league this one seems like Ilya shesterkin shesterkin uh shesterkin um his to win the new york rangers goalie has broken out this year as an absolute superstar currently according to vegasinsider.com He's got minus 800 odds to win. You would have to bet $800 on this guy just to win $100 to win the Vesna. A 2.03 goals against average, a 936 save percentage. He's It's been his award all year, I think. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair to say. The one thing I did want to bring up is it is the most deeply, deeply, deeply Toronto Maple Leafs thing for them to give away Frederick Anderson <laughs> for you know basically just drop him off the roster he gets picked up by the hurricanes and now he is a Vezina trophy contender that is the leafiest leafs thing that i've ever heard and it's like it's so leafs because it wasn't even a bad mood a bad move to drop him fred he had had a terrible season with the leafs mm-hmm. he looked to all in the, like no one can claim if you're trying to claim i knew that this would happen when the leafs dropped anderson like you're lying nothing yeah. about 
the way he had looked indicated that he would come back and play this well. And I'm happy for him. I love Frederick Anderson. Uh, I don't think he's going to win the Vesna this year, but I'm more than thrilled that he's had a great season with the Hurricane. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair prediction. I, I don't think we need to dwell on that too long. And so we move from one Toronto, a former Toronto player to a current Toronto player, Griffin, with the Hart Trophy. Um, I'm surprised you didn't talk about this as one of the, the closely contested. It's not I, close. Oh, it's not close. We will hear from you shortly on that, Griffin. Uh, obviously, Austin Matthews has the 58 goals, has missed a few games recently, uh, but you know he, he you know leads the league in about every goal or expected goals or analytical goals added per 48 years uh, that you can <laughs> name. Uh, obviously, Connor McDavid has, you know, he basically is the same thing, but with anything to do with points instead of goals. And then, Griffin, a name that you didn't even write down, which I have heard bandied about plenty, Johnny Gaudreau over on the Flames doing quite a bit as well. I don't have the stats in front of me because you, I guess, did not care to do your research on Johnny Gaudreau. But, uh, <laughs> you know, do you do you not think that he is sort of right in that conversation or is I it mean, a clear top two for you? He's been good. I think McDavid and Matthews as uh, Canada has been fighting for years now. McDavid and Matthews do, do seem to be the two horses this year. Also, shout out to Jonathan Huberdeau, another name I did not put down, but he's having a great season for the Florida Panthers. But I think, with all due respect to McDavid and Gaudreau and Huberdeau, it's got to be Austin Matthews. Just the things that he's done this year, 50 goals in 50 games, but not the first 50 games. Um, 50 goals in 50 games. Uh is an incredible feat. The way that he has led the Toronto Maple Leafs after last season, his playoff run when he didn't and maybe scored one or two goals in the seven game series, he's come out. Him and Mitch Marner have both had incredible, the best years of their careers. Um, and also just like give the Leafs something. Come on. <laughs> I think, you know, again, it's, it gets back to Toronto bias. Yes. There is some Toronto bias here. And, you know, there has been a ton of publicity surrounding Matthews. I think McDavid and the Oilers in general have sort of been less talked about this year. You're now pulling on your Toronto Maple Leafs hat. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, I think the narrative does play a role in this award. So, yeah, if we're talking about just prediction rather than picking, I think Austin Matthews does have a really good chance. I think that, narratively speaking, he has been, you know, it's sort of the the Bill Simmons. If you're telling the story of this season, it would be Austin Matthews would be like the guy you talked about scoring all those goals. You know, it's it's sort of like an old school meets new school kind of thing where it's like all of a sudden we're talking about how many goals a guy has has again. Uh, but yeah, I think that he has sort of like he's been the story of the year certainly, and you know maybe that's a bit of a a media bubble, but I feel like I've not. Connor McDavid has maybe entered like the Mike Trout zone where it's like, yeah, he's the best. That's boring. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Austin Matthews, better defensive player than Connor McDavid for what that's this is worth. Like, probably like the third time in eight episodes you brought that up. But he is. He is. Um, and oh, and also goals are more important than points, Chris. A, uh, a goal is better to have than an assist. Any two people can get uh, an assist this. on a goal. A, a goal mm. is twice as hard to get as an assist. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Also, uh, also to be the person to actually put, putting the actual puck into the net is the hardest thing. Passing to the person <laughs> who scores is not that hard. It's so sad, Griffin, to see you become this person. Like you're <laughs> like you. You should be like. 30 points a game. Joel Embiid's the MVP. The most important thing is putting the ball in the hoop. <laughs> Hockey and, and basketball are different sports. <laughs> they are. And, you know, it's, it is, I think it is genuinely an interesting debate because what do you want out of your franchise player, right? And, and you know, it's, it's just a rehash, I feel like, in some ways, of Crosby and Ovechkin, where it's like, do you want the guy who's like the hub, who's the facilitator, who does everything for your team? Or do you want the guy who is just better at scoring goals than anyone else? And yeah. I think generally speaking, I tend towards the guys who do everything. Like you know, Griffin, you're such a LeBron fan. It's surprising. Uh, hockey that and a basketball are fan. different sports, Chris. And also <laughs> Alex Ovechkin or Joel Embiid never played for Toronto. So <laughs> sure. that's part of it. Um, 
But yeah, and it's funny because in general, I do think that things like not, if you really want to stick to true definitions of MVP, LeBron James should have had about nine by now. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike Trout probably should have a couple more. And Connor McDavid might win as well. But that's not how people vote on these awards. It is narrative driven. Voter fatigue does exist. Defense matters. Um, Because I'm not (laughs) sure sure if I mentioned this, Chris, but Austin Matthews, a far better defensive player than Connor McDavid. I think it should be mentioned as well, Griffin. Like the Oilers right now are the like bottom team in terms of points. That's currently a playoff team. Like they've not had like a clear stellar year, whereas the Leafs have been, you know, the certainly a top four or five team in the league. I think it's fair to say. Um, Whereas the Oilers have have struggled a little. So I think that has to be part of your case as well. But yeah, it's it's an interesting. It's an interesting race for sure, because I do think that if you look at it holistically, there are so many different things that you can point to in either direction for either player being deserving. And so I don't personally, maybe you feel differently, but I would not be surprised or upset if if either player won the award. No, and I mean, Connor McDavid is one of the most incredible talents the hockey world has ever seen and he's a more than deserving candidate but I would be a little upset if Austin Matthews in the best season of his career lost to Connor McDavid who's having a season of his career yeah and you know obviously that again gets back to the voter fatigue thing but two terrific players you know what Griffin it's sort of like this podcast oh my goodness you're so right we're lucky to have them both (laughs) That will do it for our NHL award talk. I imagine we will probably talk a little NHL playoffs next episode. Uh, so look out for that. But for now, we're going to take a quick break and come back to the world of cinema on high floor, low ceiling. And welcome back to high floor, low ceiling. Oh, I'm sort was... of a Southern belle here. Yes, yeah, uh, like elderly <laughs> hey, come on. What you are, that, that track. Yes, you love talking about how old I am, etc., etc. Uh, Griffin, we did discuss sports movies last week, but quite frankly, we weren't quite done with them. We aren't ready to stay away. We love our movie sport crossover. And, you know, another another outlet that loves their sports and movies crossover, theringer.com, they recently had a a week of rom-com related content. They dropped their top 50 best rom-coms. I guess I should probably look at uh, what the top five were from that list. But they, they were talking rom-coms. And so I I had rom-coms on the brain. And so I thought, Griffin, given that our most, uh, most classic, one of our most classic segments of all time from our holiday episode when we made our holiday uh, movie, Chris, or our, our sports Christmas movie, that that was a hit that we should try and replicate success to diminishing returns and try our hand at a sports romantic comedy, a genre, I will say, that does exist. Uh, spo- oh, absolutely it does. Um, big <laughs> scrolling? fan of, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to find the Ringer article. I have it here. Okay. Well, yes, Chris, uh, but absolutely the sports rom-com does exist. Some of the best sports movies are rom-coms, and I, I mean, there are more... I'm not going to say some of the best rom-coms are sports movies because that's not true. <laughs> that's fair to say. I mean, I'm looking at the the top five here for The Ringer. Number five, Jerry Maguire. I will say, we, we sort of talked about this when we were talking about sports movies last week. Two weeks ago. Is Two weeks ago, excuse me. Is this a sports movie? And I my argument, or at least, you know, it's hard because I would argue that the, the romance element... It could be, you could argue, a sports movie and a romance movie or a romantic comedy. Uh, it's, uh, no, it is a comedy, but, uh, you know, the, the, those those two elements are so separate. And I think yeah. that the, the chocolate and peanut butter of the, the movie is what makes it such a good movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I do think that with Jerry Maguire, the S, you could make the same movie and have him work in any job. Any sort yes. of high-flying... Uh, Low-ceiling. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like with Christmas movies, I say Die Hard is not a Christmas movie because you could mm-hmm. make the same movie and remove all the Christmas and you would still have the core of the movie. Mm-hmm. Jerry Maguire, you could remove all of the sports and still have the same core of a movie. So that, yeah, I guess I'm going to agree with you like, there, Jerry Maguire. But then you're losing movie. like the Rod Tidwell. So I guess he could just be a different type of agent. But, yeah. you know, like Ro- could, Rod, Rod Tidwell, Tidwell could be an actor. Yeah. And I think that also by the same token, it's like, you can remove the romance from Jerry Maguire and have, you know, a similar movie. Uh, but then that's not the same core of a movie. And I'm just saying, like, I'm what not if saying that the friends? sports don't make it better. They absolutely do. And I think the fact that he is a sports agent and Rod is a wide receiver makes the movie better. But I'm just saying, I think it's not by definition a sports movie if you could make the same movie without sports. Yes, I think that it is, that, that is fair to say. Um Number four, Clueless, which I don't really consider. Oh, maybe it is a rom-com. I don't know. I think of that more as like a teen movie or like a teen comedy, which, you know, they tend to have romantic elements in them, but it's not really a, a rom-com as we traditionally think of them, you know? Uh, have you seen Clueless? I have not seen Clueless. Well, then I guess my opinion is is, uh, is law here. Yeah, uh, number I'll three, Number three, you've got Mail. Uh, my personal favorite of the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan uh collaborations uh pretty woman a surprising number two uh a movie i actually just watched this week uh obviously julia roberts one of the greatest performances of all time her in that film but i don't know if it would really be in my uh my my clear top two certainly or even like my top five necessarily have you seen pretty woman griffin no i've not but i am scrolling through this list chris there is some egregious things love actually down at 24 when it is like rom-com to the nth degree like it's so rom-com that i think you have to give it credit for that uh even (laughs) if you don't like it as much as a movie It's still, like, it's so rom-com that it needs to be higher on the list. Uh, the Princess Bride at 19. Um, that's another movie where it's, like, is, that's, that's not a rom-com. That no, is I not, not. I think that is firmly not a rom-com. That is, like, a fantasy comedy. Like, it, I guess it is a comedy. Again, it's, like, I think we've talked about this before, that a movie can be have comedic elements without being a comedy. I think yes. Princess Bride probably is more of a, a straight comedy. It's, like... It is kind of a, a parody movie in some ways, in a weird way, but I would certainly not call it a rom-com. It is like a, a fantasy comedy with obviously romantic elements because it's a fantasy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But I think the one thing that you, I, the curators of this list, and just about any movie fan out there can agree on is um, number one on this list by far the greatest rom-com of all time one of the greatest movies of all time yes when harry met sally the number one uh, obviously nora efron the great nora efron one of the queens of the romantic comedy genre writing that one uh meg ryan billy crystal you have carrie fisher in there oh, everyone's so wearing sweaters uh it's it's a great vibe piece certainly i think that's a, that a very important element of a rom-com is the vibe as well just like how much you want to like exist in the world uh, and when Harry Met Sally is great for that. Also, uh, can we just talk about Rob Reiner as one of his generation's greatest directors? Ooh, can you want to have the Rob Reiner love? discussion? Think about how many banging movies this guy has made. I think that Spinal think Tap, Rob, I Princess did Bride, Spinal Tap as well. When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men. He can do it all. He's a good actor. Thing, <laughs> sure, he's a fine actor. I would agree with that. The thing about Rob Reiner is his hit rate really falls off. And, you know, maybe that's true of, like, just about any director. Isn't that every director? director? But, like, but it's like, he made Spinal Tap, great movie, no complaints. Stand By Me, I think, is a little overrated. Maybe that's a hot take. How do you feel about Stand By Me? That one, like, I don't include it in his pantheon of the ones I just listed, but still good. Sure. I think it's fine, yeah. Princess Bride, no complaints, love it. When Harry Met Sally, no complaints, love it. Misery, solid. But just think about like, the, the versatility there. He made Misery yes. and he made The Princess Bride. Like, come on. Yes. But then the argument that a uh, a more, I don't want to say snobbish, but perhaps a more a more cultured uh, film enjoyer might give to you is the, like he has diversity of genre because like he is a, a working class director and like doesn't really have a distinctive voice. I see I don't what know you're how saying. Much yeah. I agree he's, a, with that. He's, a, he's a get it done 
director. He's more of a work for hire kind of guy. But then it's like a work for hire guy. I don't think makes the Princess Bride like or Spinal that's Tap. A, that, yeah, exactly. Those are like strange movies that don't really like jive with what we know of other movies. Like maybe a few Good Men in Misery, you can put them in that boat. And even when Harry met Sally to some degree. But I, I, I think I think I'm I'm okay with saying Rob Reiner is. At, at the very least, a good director. The greatest or at the very director least, of all time. <laughs> the very least, a director that made some good movies. Um, Griffin, some so let's great, break We're great getting movies, so certainly. sidetracked here. Extremely. Uh, just quickly, sports rom-coms. How many, uh, you, I'll go through these and you tell me which ones you've seen. Bull Durham, have you seen this? Yes, love it. Love it as well. Uh, I recently watched the film Mr. 3000 starring Bernie Mac. Have you seen this one? I saw that on your letterbox. I have not seen that one. It is about him trying to reclaim his 3000 hits title, which has become even more relevant this week with uh, Miguel Cabrera hitting oh, yeah, that mark. Yeah, we didn't even mention. Shout out to Miguel Cabrera. What a great achievement. So happy <laughs> sure. for me. That should have been in the intangibles. That's on me. Uh, sure. Shout out to Miguel Cabrera. Uh, she's the man. Um, yes. Yes, yes, good movie. <laughs> okay. Fever Pitch, have not seen this one, with Jimmy no. Fallon. No, me neither. Uh, or the original version, which is about soccer. Uh, and then Tin Cup, the golf movie. Kevin Costner, nope. kind of the king of the uh, sentimental sports movie. You know? Oh, is he ever? But no, have not seen that one. Uh, so, Griffin, the one thing that I want to get out of the way before we start working on our rom-com is I hate the big lie conceit in the rom-com. And do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Is this when the one of the characters is living like a fake life, and so exactly. we have to get through that kind of like one yes, when... rom com that I watched with my sister recently that I really liked was a How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, mm-hmm. when I think both characters are living a big life. Yeah. I remember that movie correctly. Yeah, or you know, yeah, she's all that where you have like the bet surrounding it, where anything where it's like the the foundation of this relationship is being formed on some kind of deception or dishonesty. And so inevitably, you know that that's going to come out at some point, that there's going to be a big fight. And, you know, obviously the, the yeah, rom-com... It's, it's pre-packaging a conflict. Like, it's not even... Exactly. ...giving yourself a real, authentic, earned conflict. It's just like, all right, so we already know what the big fight is going to be in this rom-com. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, two of my favorite rom-coms, uh, When Harry Met Sally, as we mentioned, and Moonstruck... I think that one of the one of my favorite maybe rom-com tropes is like I thought I knew what love was but then I met you and it sort of throws all of my preconceptions about love at the window. Um, you know, Moonstruck she is uh, engaged and then she meets her fiance's brother who is Nicolas Cage and then uh, they they <laughs> spark a romance. He's not Nicolas Cage in the movie, but the actor portraying him is Nicolas Cage. Oh, I see. It's not an unbearable weight of massive talent situation. Um, so I'll just say that I think that is maybe the direction we should look to go here. And then on a related note, Griffin, I think that I think that New York is just the city of rom-coms. What do you think about oh, this? Oh, it has to be. One thing I wanted to mention, I am tired of enemies to lovers in rom-coms. Are you fine to not do Ooh. an enemies to lovers in our sports rom-com? I think that that is just fine by me. I'm fine, you know... People bag on movies that lack conflict or that have that don't have a lot of plot, where nothing happens, as they put it. I'm, I kind of like those movies. <laughs> kind of like I'm. I'm kind of happy with a movie that's just like two nice people being nice to each other. Uh, you know, we we can we'll get a little conflict in there, but I'm more than happy to avoid those sort of big blow up kind of things, and more focus on like you know, it's just that they they have to overcome some obstacles, but it's not like they hate they suddenly hate each other and break up and then they get back together. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah, as you're getting through a relationship, there's a getting to know each other period. You're gonna have fights and you're gonna want to figure things out. But I'm I'm in favor of trying to rewrite the formula a little bit because i feel like one thing a lot of people will say with rom-coms is if you've seen one you've seen them all sort of like they Mm -hmm. all do follow this very similar uh plot style so let's shake it up a bit now chris one thing i want to propose to you is uh you want to propose to me yes that's this this entire podcast episode is actually a (laughs) rom-com no i thought that and i wouldn't be surprised if you had had this same thought inspired by some of the great sports power couples like Sue Bird and Megan Rapinoe or uh, Sloan Stevens and Josie Altador, can both of our couple participants be athletes? I had this thought as well. I, I wasn't sure whether we whether it was, should 
the main character because you know the one of uh, a classic rom-com trope is like they're already dating someone else and they sort of have to realize that they love this person and then break up with their with their old partner which i you know i like that more than they have to break up with the person and then get back together with the person uh so i was wondering like should they meet a fellow athlete or should they be dating a fellow athlete and then they fall in love with a normal person because I also like the, you know, the pretty woman where it's like uh, a normal or re- well, really pretty woman. If you want my analysis, is kind of Please. the opposite where you think that it's about a rich person bringing a, a Cinderella type person into her fairy tale when really it's about Julia Roberts bringing Richard Gere this sense of normalcy that he's been missing in his life. Damn, <laughs> but, that's so true. Um. Here, here's one thing that just occurred to me. This might seem a bit hubristic, but what <laughs> if I, one of the characters, whether it's the person they are dating at the start or the person that they end up with, is a member of the media who has covered this person? And maybe I... they, like, we're not doing enemies to lovers, but maybe they start with, like, confronting, hey, you wrote this really critical thing about me. I don't like it. I, I, that's that's interesting. But that's enemies are... to lovers. So maybe not that. It's, but what if bit. a media member was involved somehow? That interesting relationship. I promise. This is not inspired <laughs> by real events. Like my girl, my say. girlfriend listens to this. Uh, <laughs> I have never wanted to date any of the athletes that I cover or anything like that. This is a little bit of self-insert fan fiction here. Um, but yeah, I think it's that that I thought of that as well because I think you know one thing we haven't t- discussed is what sport we will cover. Or mm. what sport the person will be playing. Because I think the most romantic sport is inherently baseball, as evidenced by all the greatest sports movies being baseball movies. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Precisely. But then it's it becomes the question of, you know, if this is during the season, how can you get someone to, you know, be in it, with the team the whole time? So, you know, you could do that they're both members of the same team, which would be a... Uh, certainly a, a progressive and probably controversial <laughs> uh, rom-com. So, yeah, there. Th- so we have a couple of choices there. So, do we want? It, I, I think it feels like we're circling this media idea. Is this the direction we want to go in? And if that's the case, because I do feel like if it's a situation where someone is together with someone and has to realize that they really love this person, it is kind of gross that like this baseball player is leaving their spouse at home and then getting together with a reporter. So how do we, how do we work through that? I guess is my question. Yeah. Whether or not, whether or not either one of them leaves their uh, previous partner at home and then falls in love with the other one while on the road, but it's not as fun if they both come into it single. Yeah. And you know, I'm not entirely opposed to, uh, to, you know, a little bit of conflict uh, in inner, inner turmoil. <laughs> yes. Just the, like, I'm, a, I don't need my rom-com characters to be perfect, right? Like they can, they can make mistakes. They can hurt their other partners, uh, in the interest of sort of progressing towards their one true love. I don't have a lot of hangups about that. Are, are you like, does it make you feel a little icky if, you know, like in, like in Moonstruck, like, that the fiance goes to Italy and then she ends up meeting up with Nicolas Cage and you know it all it all works out fine at the end but like that they you know the, what they did was morally wrong do you have qualms about your character sort of digging into that territory i mean it depends on the kind of movie we're trying to make i think if we're just trying sure. to make a happy go lucky feel good bubbly kate hudson style rom-com then shout out to kate hudson um (laughs) then i think they shouldn't do something like that but i think you and i here we can make an actual good movie in which case i think having morally complicated characters is better so yeah i am open to our character realize it maybe i mean clearly their previous relationship has some problems or else they wouldn't even really be open to this but clearly they have to go on this journey of trying to figure out whether committing this sin (laughs) (laughs) that's not what i meant to say and this is a christian podcast yes uh whether whether or not committing this uh offense is worth it if they think like are they pursuing a truer love than the one they have now i think that certainly is usually the implication um and yeah there's always the the sort of easy way around this and i think we really are just getting into like how a rom-com writer thinks it's like the easy way around this is like the opening scene is them breaking up with their current partner 
Yeah, but that's um, or, or like if they walk in and they're like, oh, my other partner was cheating on me the yes. entire time. Like, so that I don't want to do that. I because that when I'm watching a movie, I'm like, OK, so now they can just get together. That's everything wraps itself up in a nice little. But I want my character to have to make a choice and whether or not the audience agrees with that choice is up to each individual member of the audience. But wow. I don't want everything to be decided for them. So what if, you know, the, and maybe this is sort of this is the kind of hedging we hate on high flow ceiling, but what if it's something like there, you have this, you know, we, we talked about the rom-com meet cute. Uh, and so maybe it's like, they have this connection. We feel this connection, but then like they can't go through with it because they still have this faithfulness to their previous partner. And then we have to go back and have the breaking up with the old partner scene uh, as, as part of it. And so they did. They're not cheating, but they're maybe emotionally cheating. Yeah. They're not uh, handling their relationship in the optimal way, certainly. And we get a little bit of that that moral gray that we like. Yeah, I like that. It's, uh, just like the Olivia Rodrigo song "Traitor," like it's sort of what we're dealing with here. Oh, you didn't take cheat, your word for it. St- oh, you don't know that song. Oh, you got to listen to that song. It is a power ballad. Emphasis on if, power. If um, <laughs> we're if. Yeah, we already talked about Rob Reiner on this episode. I don't think we can get into my Olivia Rodrigo takes. Oh no, uh, you better you better be respectful. Anyway, <laughs> um, this has already gotten so far off track. Okay, yes. so well, Chris, before we wrap up here, I think we've got a really good nugget of a concept. Uh, but one thing we have to do, as we do with every movie we write on high, mm-hmm. as part of High Floor Low Ceiling Studios, um, is to think of a name. Yes. For this film. So the the way I was picturing it was like either either like the the meet cute sort of moment. Sorry, one sec. Chris just coughed for those of you wondering. Uh, but yeah, the the what I was sort of thinking was whether it would be this could either be a meet cute moment or it can be like the big dramatic final moment is like a sit down one on one interview between the reporter and the athlete. I think that that is like. Uh, a, a scene that we want to put in there and it can either be like they're on live tv and they have to declare their love on live tv or it can be like this is where they sort of start to forge this connection what do you what do you think about that i well? like it i mean in my head it sort of seems like it could almost be a bookend like they could have a small interview mm. to start and a big interview to finish but i think if we only want one i like it as a as a big ending maybe they set this up when they were exploring each other but then they were like maybe the person who's in a relationship is like you know what i have feelings for you but it's wrong i'm married or whatever they are i gotta keep my distance but they still have this interview set up and so they still gotta come do this interview and it's awkward at first but then it gets into this big speech and it is on live tv or maybe it's like have you seen have you seen the ugly truth no. There, there's a part in The Ugly Truth where uh, they sort of have to hash out their relationship disagreements on live TV, and that's a very fun scene. So I think we could do the same thing. But Griffin, I think I've cracked it here. If we've got this big sort of interview scene, uh, I think we need to pivot a little bit. I think okay. that this needs to become a basketball player rather than a baseball player. And the title of the film, Griffin, one-on-one. Oh, because you've got the interviews, so you've good. got the basketball, and you've got the romance. And Griffin, I think we've done it again. I think we've done it again. We need someone needs to bankroll <laughs> these. <laughs> we are I we are on to a screenwriting career. I wasn't sure if we would pull it off. It, it was such a magical moment last time, and we've got and done it again. God damn, we've done it again. It, it really is crazy how much thinking of the perfect title can make the movie ten times better. We've done it again. <laughs> I'm overjoyed about this. Uh, I suppose that we should stop there because you know we we you can't go up. There's we've hit our low ceiling but you know what in terms of writing sports genre movies i i think we have a high ceiling you and i i think i think you're absolutely right but that will have to do it for today's uh you know screenwriting session (laughs) and today's episode of high floor low ceiling you can follow us at hflc podcast on twitter uh you can also follow us on instagram and tiktok as well it's all hflc podcast you can follow Griffin at GriffinPorter97 on Twitter. You can follow me at C House and Jan, Chow Sun Jan 
on Twitter. Got a little uh, emotional on your Twitter handle. <laughs> I'm trying to hold in burps because I'm drinking <laughs> Diet Coke. Uh, <laughs> you can go back and listen to uh, Griffin's OUA In Conversation podcasts. Uh, those are some, some excellent episodes there. Uh, you can listen to my podcast, Got the Runs, and uh, Bevy of Bevies. You can it, check Chris, I out. just got to say, I love the most recent Bevy of Bevies, all about Canada Dry ginger ale. You coming at it as a Canadian, your co-host Colin coming at it as an American. I loved that uh, dichotomy. It was a great episode. Well, I really, really appreciate that, Griffin. We are very excited with Bevy of Bevies. You know, first season is just getting underway. Already have big plans for the summer season. It's going to be exciting. Um, but I think that is just about everything that we have to cover for the time being. So until next time, for Griffin and myself, keep your floors high and your ceiling low.